A passage in the dark. Lamentations chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand and against me again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Lord, we know that everything that is in your word is there for our good and your glory in us and through us. Father, you know the our innermost thoughts, our deepest, darkest fears and secrets. And you know exactly how you want these words and those that are to come to work in our hearts. That the word tells us are desperately sick. So you do in each heart, beginning with my own, as you have already purposed to do through your word. And we will give you thanks and we will give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Already you can tell we're going to a heavy place tonight. Probably not entirely a comfortable place for some, but I, I, obviously I wouldn't be here if I didn't feel led to, to do that. But we know, I mean, everyone passes through a valley at some point in their life. Everyone knows sadness. Everyone experiences Loss. We are well too acquainted with pain and sorrow. Agreed? I would point out briefly at the onset, lest we fall, be tempted to fall into self-pity, that no pain we will ever endure, no pain we will ever endure is unfelt, unshared, or outmatched by that of our Savior on our behalf. I just feel the need to remind us of that at the very beginning, that though we all know the dark side of life to some point, we will never out-suffer our Lord Jesus. 
We do well to keep in mind also that the suffering that he experienced and endured was for his own glory, but it was on our behalf. Foolish we are to think that our suffering is all about us and is not known or understood by any other, particularly Jesus. Just need to remind us of that at the onset. What we find in this passage here, I think, though, is something deeper. Perhaps something darker, something heavier than grief, even. Now, I I delve into this topic with some care and some attempted tenderness, which makes some of you laugh, I know, that I would attempt tenderness. But I, I do so because it is a difficult and often misunderstood one. I'm talking about that as the poets have called it, the dark night of the soul that would seek to end us. It takes many forms. It has many names. It claims many victims, at least in an earthly, temporal sense. It has names like depression, anxiety, addiction, mental illness, emotional baggage, overwhelming despair, addictions of all kinds, whatever you want to call it and whatever specific form it takes, we're going to refer to it as, we're going to focus it on the word depression for obvious reasons when we get into the text again. With the understanding that tonight when we use that term, we're using it uh, as, a, as an inclusive term to this, what again, what the poets have called the dark night of the soul, that dark place where we sometimes go And we're being inclusive of its varying degrees and manifestations. Okay, so you see why I was led to the title, A Passage in the Dark. The thing about the dark, though, the thing about that place is when you're there, often you cannot see the passage. Often you cannot see the light. And sometimes you don't even care to find it. I know that some of us feel this deeply. I've thought a lot about this topic, especially since the recent news of Rick Warren's son, Matthew, who ended his own life. He did what he did in what Rick said in an email to his staff, the immediate email he sent out to his staff, and what he called a momentary wave of despair. After what was apparently a very pleasant evening with family. We find this difficult to understand. The reality is, the reality is, is that unless you have dealt with it, encountered it, been close to it, or experienced it in some form or degree, it's, it's difficult for you to get it. It just is. You, you just have to know that. You either, under, you either feel it, you either understand it, or you wrestle to understand it. If you're in the camp, if you're on the side where you have a hard time understanding, you, you have to just determine, I'm going to do my best to extend grace, graciousness and patience, and pray for your brothers and sisters, emphasis on the brothers and sisters who fight it. And as you will hear me say often, preach the gospel to one another and to yourselves again and again and again and again at all times. On a personal note, To those of you who would say that Matthew must be in hell because of his action, 
or that true Christians never wrestle with depression, I would ask you respectfully to not talk to me about the matter. Because the reality is my response to you may be unkind. I probably shouldn't have said that, but it's on the record now. This is a delicate place to go. I realize that. But that's where we're going, so... Jeremiah, who many scholars believe is the author of Lamentations, the reality is we don't really know for sure that Jeremiah is the the author of all of Lamentations, uh, but we're going to assume that he is the author of this passage here. He's known as the weeping prophet. Uh, Could easily be understood that he wrestled with a deep, deep, deep depression uh, based on the things that he witnessed. The very title of the book evokes sadness, Lamentations, a lament, a song of sadness, right? The entire book is a stylized, poetic, eyewitness account of the destruction of Jerusalem, which was very near and dear to the author's heart. And the author clearly knows, Jeremiah clearly knows, is it, it is a result of Israel's sin. He has no illusions that they're innocent victims here. He knows what's going on. But here's the thing, the fact of the fact, the apparent fact of clear and right justice on God's part doesn't lessen the pain of what's being witnessed here for Jeremiah, nor does it ease or entirely prevent that downward emotional spiral that we kind of see here in the verses that we've read already of the writer, maybe even the reader into those who identify it. Now, again, we're reading this with the hope of, my hope is that we feel it from the inside out. Again, and I may harp on this a little bit, you have to get, you just have to determine that if you've never experienced this depth of despair, this, this, this depth of hurt, it's going to be difficult for you to fully understand. You just have to acknowledge that up front. It's easy for those of us with, as I've said to Duane, those of us with less mercy, fewer mercy genes, it's easy for us to point to this and say, uh, adopt a, uh, well, they're just getting what they deserved kind of posture. That, that's easy. And while there is some truth to that, that's not a, particularly when you're trying to help or you have a loved one or yourself, that's not a proper posture to take. Well, they're just getting what they deserved. You may remember Dwayne referencing some of the statements and blogs and Facebook statuses and comments of some public figures in the wake of Matthew Warren's actions. And if you recall him uh, quoting a conversation we had, my, my comment to that was there are some idiots out there. Uh, if, I, I'm sorry, but if you are cold enough to make those kind of judgmental, callous, religious statements about a situation like that, especially publicly, and especially right smack in the middle of that kind of grief, then you, you really just don't get it. But if you do, right? If you know what, what I'm talking about, if you, if you feel this, it's just a difficult place and a delicate subject to communicate about. This is what I'd like to do. I'll go back through these verses. I'm going to read back through some of these phrases. Keep in mind that Lamentations is a poem 
probably designed to be sung or read publicly. So the imagery is vivid, it's poignant, it's potent. And if you get it, if you identify with it, it can be very powerful and even difficult. Listen to some of these phrases. I'm a man who has seen affliction into darkness without any light. It besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. I dwell in darkness. My chains are heavy. Oh, and this one. Though I call and cry for help, He shuts out my prayer. He's made me desolate. He's filled me with bitterness, wormwood, made my teeth grind on gravel, and made me cower in ashes, bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. One Greek or one Hebrew word there, it might be translated, I've forgotten what good is. Some of us, we, we, we squirm a little when we read those. I do. We squirm because we understand. We feel it. Maybe, perhaps, we've been there in that place. And this reminds us of it. Perhaps we're there now. Perhaps you have someone close to you who struggles here can be difficult to hear these phrases. And we, we want to know what to do. Now immediately, and not entirely wrongly, we want to squarely and solely blame Satan. Dwayne mentioned this this morning. Right? This is just all Satan. It's not entirely off target. I mean, it's not inappropriate to claim sometimes that our very real enemy is attacking us. Right? But we have one tremendous obstacle in this passage to what I might call, cautiously, an overly simplistic application of spiritual warfare in these verses. It's the fact that all of these verses that we've read, all of these vivid and painful descriptions of the author's internal turmoil, begin with a commonality. He. He. It's it's God who has Jeremiah where he is. Specifically here in this passage, all of these things are acknowledged to have come from God. In due course, because of the sin of the people. So we have a hard time here making a claim of outright spiritual warfare. I mean, we, we do know that this scenario is possible from the account of Job. Right? Job was clearly attacked by Satan in a particularly violent, horrific, painful variety of ways. But it was Job himself and the writer of the book who acknowledged that none of his trials would have come to him save the Most High God that he served allow it to be. So can we blame everything bad on Satan alone and on spiritual warfare? Oh, here's a better question. This is one that I wrestle with, I guess. Does anything come to the children of God, anything come to the children of God that has not passed through the sovereign will of the Father? 
No. So what do we do with this? How are we to view hard things, inexplicable things, whether they're internal or external? God is sovereign. Agree? Okay. So nothing will happen to you outside of his sovereign will. Correct? That, that is true. It cannot. David Platt said it this way. He was talking specifically about missions. A high view of God's sovereignty fuels what he called a death-defying commitment to global missions with the, with the understanding that if God is sovereign, then nothing's going to happen to you outside of his sovereign will. So whatever happens, whether it is a blatant spiritual attack like it was for Job, whether it's the natural consequence of sin or the inexplicable strike of illness or death or even something that we know is directly from God, everything, here's the thing, listen, because we know God is sovereign, everything has a purpose. If it indeed comes to us having passed through the sovereign will of our God. And it has. My friend Matt Oshel has a great phrase. I don't even know where he got it. He heard it somewhere. But when, we talk, when we're talking about the sovereignty of God, particularly this kind of aspect where bad things come to those that are serving God, how do we? he says everything that comes to us is father-filtered. I like that. That helps me. It helps me make sense of the world we live in. It helps me understand why... Bad things, or good things happen for that matter. Later on in this chapter, I think it's verse 37 or 38, the writer says, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? If God is indeed sovereign, then nothing can happen to me outside of His control. Therefore, I can trust Him. Okay, I've got to say that one again. That apparently didn't register. God is sovereign. Nothing's coming to me unless it is passed through Him, therefore I can trust Him. Even in, no, especially in the darkest of times. The problem, again, with this place, the dark night of the soul, that place that we just we understand, is that when you find yourself there, you can lose sight of this truth sometimes. Worse, we might turn from a Naomi-like acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. If you remember Ruth chapter 1, Naomi said, Don't even call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitterness. It's like, I know God's in control, but I'm not very happy about it. Is kind of what Naomi was saying. But we may move from a Naomi-like acknowledgement of God's sovereignty to even a self-centered, short-sighted blame on God, where we just want to be angry and blame when you're in the dark, you can, just, you can lose all sense of direction. And the thing that should keep you anchored, you can lose touch with. Spiritually, emotionally, even mentally, relationally. Even now, there are those of us who feel this. We know this Wait. You understand. It can be undoing. However, it is not without remedy. Let me say that one again. 
even this is not without remedy. Even in the middle of the darkest night, we have but one place to look. And by the marvelous grace of our Lord, we find it here in this very same passage. Almost like He planned it that way. Right? Listen to this. But this I call to mind. Therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. And let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But, though he cause grief, he will have compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. You know, sometimes I laugh at the overcomplications we want to add to life, to its problems and their solutions. It seems so simplistic sometimes, seems so inadequate, it seems silly to some to just to tell someone to look to the cross. It seems cliche in our time to tell them just look to Christ with your heart, your mind, your soul and your strength. It seems formulaic to remind them and go back where I go every day, back to the gospel. But it is truth with a capital T. The person of Jesus. The gospel is truth. And the gospel is our only hope. It was our only hope when we were lost. And it is our only hope now that we are saved. It is a dangerous thing to allow the mind to think that our need for the gospel, for the saving, transforming power of it, has lessened or waned since I'm saved, since I've come under the blood of Christ. You still need it desperately, just as much as before you were saved. You just need it for different things. When you were lost, you needed salvation from the eternal consequences of your sin. That is, separation from God in a place of eternal and very real torment called hell. Jesus spoke repeatedly and clearly and openly about that place. Now that you are His, if in fact you are His... You need salvation from the temporal power, this side of eternity of power, of sin and its effects in, over, and through your life. And again, in this hour, we're talking about a specific arena of sin's effects on our human minds and hearts. Some that gladly, not everyone knows, but they are real nonetheless. And... You may not need salvation from this arena, but you need it from somewhere in your life. 
It might be pride. It might be lust. It might be a hunger for, for power, for control. It might be your self-righteousness. It might be your unforgiveness over past hurts. You may need deliverance, though, from something darker. From, again, focusing on that catch-all word we're using, depression and everything else that that implies in our talk tonight. Sin has many varied and far-reaching temporal effects. And we alone cannot save ourselves from these any more than we could save ourselves from hell. He still, Jesus still, is our only hope. He still is. And this has no more potent meaning than for the person who has all but lost hope, especially in themselves. If you, if you find yourself trapped in this dark, if you cannot find the light, if you are riddled with guilt and shame and fear of what would happen if others knew what was in your head or in your heart, you have only one place to look for deliverance from that. And it's the same thing that delivered those of us who have faith in Christ from hell. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to explain what that very clearly is in just a few minutes. I have to pause here and I have to say something kind of as, it's, it's, it's something you just have to acknowledge. We, we cannot use the gospel, we cannot use this truth and its power as a point to dismiss the need sometimes for medical approaches to some things. We, in our day, we just have to say that. Sometimes medication, treatment, and other things are needed, particularly when you're treating, when you're te- dealing with, with mental illness. Let's not make the mistake when we're dealing with that arena of saying something as ill-informed as, you don't need medication, you just need Jesus. No, sometimes you need some meds. However, I would submit to you that two possible reasons that mental illness seems to not only be so prevalent in our society, but it seems to be continually more and more widespread are this. First, the awareness of it as a very real issue is better. The awareness of mental illness specifically in all of its forms is better in our day. Second, and more importantly, most of the medical only treatment is medical only and is devoid of the only real hope and power to ultimately overcome sin and its effects on the human heart and mind. What is it? The the gospel. The medical establishment will give you meds. They're not going to preach Jesus to you. Some of them will. We do have some Christians out there that are operating. And they're going to pray for you and they're going to preach the gospel. But the reality is, many of them do not. But for now, let's zero back in and think these things, continue thinking here solely in a gospel context. And I want to give you three thoughts from these last few verses that we read. If you find yourself in what we're calling the dark night of the soul, this place we've been referring to, whatever manifestation it may take, Or if you have someone close to you who is there, cling to these, speak these, pray these. The first one is this. You are not without hope. Say it again. Because again, if if you're there in that place, I just want to say it again clearly so you'll hear it. Even though I know what I'm talking about enough to know that right now that you're hearing my words, you may not be hearing everything I'm saying. So zero in right now. When I say that again, 
You are not without hope. But this, verse 21, (laughs) but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. said it this way before. Memory just comes back to me. Sometimes when you can't feel God, you go with what you know about God. He is good. He is faithful. He is your only hope. And the next one we're going to get to in a minute. I want to get ahead of myself. Christ is your hope. He was your hope when you were lost, if you have faith in Him, and He is your only hope now. I know, again, it's difficult when you're in that place to keep this in view sometimes. I know that in those moments of despair, like the one that overtook Matthew Warren temporally, it seems as if there is no hope. It seems as if there is no light. But there is His name is Jesus. You are not without hope. The second one is this. Your deliverance is not far away, but it may take time. Verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear that yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him, put it to his, let him put his mouth in the dust, and there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. Those last few verses are a little hard to understand. I think I'm going to kind of go out of order just a little bit. Those last three verses, what I would say in this situation is this. When you're helping, trying to help someone, and they're in a place you don't understand, don't say something like, you just need to get over it. I'll come for you. Be careful to say something like that to someone who's in a place that you don't understand. But here's the thing about the first part, 25 to 27. It may or may not be encouraging to you. You know, the heart's a funny thing sometimes. What, what at one moment is heard and is a help and a healing word, those very same words may be devastating at another moment. Like I said before, you either get this or you don't. If you do... You know, let's start with this. If you don't, give God thanks that you don't quite completely understand what I'm talking about. Thank Him. And pray for those that, that do. If you do, then sometimes, like this says, you just have to sit, cling to what you know, and just let it rest in the heart. And keep telling yourself those things and think on them until the hope that it contains... That deliverance is near in Christ begins to to seep into your heart. Your deliverance is not far away. You are not without hope and your deliverance is not far away. The last one is perhaps, if you are there, the most powerful of the three. Your God has not abandoned you. People, I can't speak for people. I can't speak for you. But because of this book, I can speak for my God. He has not abandoned you. Verse 31. 
For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly affect or grieve the children of men. And this is a common feeling in the arena that we're dealing with, specifically with depression, the feeling that you are alone. Feeling that you're abandoned. If you are His, the God that you serve has not, nor will He ever, abandon you. He will not leave you in the dark forever. I am living proof of that. And those of us who have grounded themselves in the truth, because when you're in that place and you realize that God's in control, that can play tricky things on your mind if you let it. But those of us that have grounded themselves in the truth of God's sovereignty, that nothing happens to us outside of the sovereign and perfect will and purpose of God, have come to understand something that, for me, helps me filter out when hard things come. Because the mind wants to rationalize That if God's all good, there's evil in the world, so he must not be all powerful. Or if God's all powerful, he must not be all good because there's evil in the world. Right? Here's the thing you need to understand. God is good. God is good. He is not nice. Let's say that again. Because the first time I heard that, it was kind of like a two by four to the chest for me. God is good. He is not nice. I, for some reason, I just thought of the end of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when, what's his name, the guy with the horns, and the, the, Mr. Tumnus says to Lucy, after all, he's not a tame lion. As such, sometimes God lets us go through the valley, through the dark, through the hard place. But it is never without purpose, though it may seem that way. And If He sends you there, He will never, never, ever, 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 ever abandon you and leave you there. He has a purpose for where you are, if you are His. I cannot speak to what that purpose is because they are many, they are varied, they are, although we know that the ultimate purpose of our lives is to know Christ and make Him known, They are person-specific. Could be to bring you to repentance. Could be to keep you from worse harm. Although it's hard to imagine worse harm when you're stuck where we're talking about. It could be to demonstrate His goodness through you to someone else. We can know, though, that it's always for His glory and our ultimate good and for the forward progress of the gospel. And listen, I want to say these three again. You are not without hope, your deliverance is not far, and your God has not and will not abandon you. If nothing else tonight, let these things help you find the light in the dark. Because this is your passage through the dark place. It is the gospel. Four very quick applications and then we're going to be done to give you some hopefully practical things. The first one is make sure you're a Christian. Some of us say, duh. Jeremiah knew where his hope came from because he knew hope. He, he knew the Lord. How do you do that? I'm glad you asked. 
I'm going to give it to you this way. God is holy. He is holy. He is perfect. He doesn't need us. He's he's eternal. He's holy. Man is not. None of us are. The best of us are not holy. We can never do anything enough to make us un, make us clean enough to make us not unholy enough so we can be with God. And holy God who is just and right, just and right, his wrath is coming for the unholy ones. Us. Okay? You with me so far? God is holy. We are not. His wrath is coming. We're in trouble. Well, I'm a pretty good guy. Sorry, you're not God. He's right. We're wrong. What do we do? Nothing you can do. But Christ came. God in the flesh came in Jesus Christ and stepped in to pay a debt that unholy man could not pay. And He made the only way for you to know this holy, right, perfect God in love and in mercy and in grace instead of wrath and justice and judgment. He made the only way. It's His shed blood on the cross. You have one job. My job is to tell you the truth. Your job is this. You respond to what He did. This is how you do that. This unholy sin self, as good as it may be, junk that's us, turn away from it. Repent of sin, repent of self, and turn to Christ. I'm going to faith and trust in Jesus and His finished work on the cross. No, you will not get it perfect every day from that point on. Yes, you will still have junk come your way. But we're talking about eternity first. God is holy, man is not, Christ came, you respond in repentance and faith. That's how you make sure you're a Christian. Second, when you learn that gospel, when you get it in here, when it becomes yours, cling to it. For your very life, cling to it. And don't let the rule keepers into your headspace. They sound an awful lot like the Pharisees that always ask Jesus things like, Who sinned that this man would be born blind, him or his parents? Ignore them and cling to the gospel. Third, on a little more practical level, don't be alone any more than you have to. And if you have someone struggling, don't let them be alone. We know from experience, like in the case of Matthew, and his is a little more inexplicable case, and we can't really make that a rule of thumb, but we know from experience that solitude, though it is what we seek when we're in the dark place, is not what we need. Find family, find friends. Find Christ-following friends. Find help. Don't be alone. And the fourth, as overly simplistic as it is, hope. Hope. (laughs) Connie's going to laugh at this. We were watching The Hunger Games the other day, this movie. I just turned it on and started watching it. There's one little quote in there. It's a different context, I know, a completely different context. But this one caught my attention because I was thinking about this. It said that hope is the one thing more powerful than fear. To which I would add, 
that hope that comes from Christ is indeed. So hope. Hope in Christ. Which returns me to application number one. Make sure that you are His indeed. Let's pray, and then we're going we're gonna to sing a song. I, I was debating all night kind of whether to do this or not. But when you give that kind of opportunity, there might be someone here who sits up and says, you know, I, can't, I can't say with absolute certainty that I'm his. I, I think I might need to take care of that. Yes, you do. So... We're going to pray in a minute. We're going to sing a song we know so well, and I'll be down here. But here's the thing. If, if you have questions, if you're wrestling, if you're in that place and you need to talk, then if you don't come forward during this invitation time, I'll still be down here. There'll be some other people down here. Don't leave tonight without asking the questions that you're fighting, that you're wrestling. And if you're not sure of number one, you're not sure that you're his, don't leave God is holy. We are not. But Christ came for us so that we could know Him in love and mercy rather than in wrath and judgment. Trust Him. Father, thank You for hope. Thank You for the one place of true hope. Thank You for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for reminding us. Thank you for reminding me. The same gospel that saves us from an eternity separated from you is the same gospel that continues to transform, to remake, to change us, to be less like the lost person that we were and more like the Savior to whom we belong. But we still fight, we still struggle, we still have this world to live in, Lord. So I'm going to ask you, continue your gospel work in us as we sing, as we repent, as we pray, as we struggle together. Lord, if there's one here, either one here that's in that place, or maybe several of us in the room know someone who is in that place, Lord, somehow help us to... Shine the light of hope gently and patiently into that dark place. Help us to share and demonstrate Jesus with him. So you do what you want to do. Thank you, Lord, again for reminding us of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.